evening. Welcome to Crime Talk BK here on Radio Free Brooklyn. Um, we're your hosts, Joanna Perpich and Megan Duffy, uh, coming to you from afar in our own apartment in uh, Bushwick and in Coney Island. Brighton Beach. Brighton Beach. <laughs> Close enough. It's down there with the, with the, with the little old Russian ladies. Yep. And we hope that you are weathering this pandemic. Um, of course, we're recording to you from the past um, one week ago, um, from the time that you're hearing this on air. Right now, it seems that, fingers crossed, we might have plateaued and that maybe things are getting better. Uh, the last article I read said that there are um, fewer pe- people being uh, brought into the ICU. And if you can hear whistling, Ashton, uh, <laughs> that's my teapot. So I will tell you what um, our big our big secret is that I've been working on today. Do you want to hear okay. it? Yeah. I'm doing laundry in our kitchen. Mm-hmm. Like old times. Like old times in these plastic buckets that I will try to show you. You see them over my oh. shoulder. Nice sized totes. Good. So for our listeners back at home who have not had the pleasure of doing laundry in their kitchen, uh, when I moved into this apartment, I bought a bunch of these like plastic crates from Target. And so I emptied out a bunch of crap today that I never unpacked and am now using it. Um, but I read online that in order for your uh, laundry to actually get clean, the temperature ideally should hit a certain um, it should hit a certain temperature. So I've been pouring um, hot water from my tea kettle. Good idea. It. See, you're MacGyvering it. Well done. Oh, boy. We have way too much underwear. Why do people need to wear underwear anyway? It's a pain in the ass to clean. I mean, if you're stuck at home, I don't see any reason to wear it. Um, I take showers now three days a week. Well, I mean, considering the inertia that's actually happening, like what's... I, you know, I'm just basically sitting in my library eight hours a day. You have a library? Yeah. That's amazing. Yep. Sitting in it right now. Can you see it? You know, I was trying to figure out what room you were in because this is the room that you normally record from. And I was wondering if it was your bedroom, but no, it's a library. It's the library. It's still scan over to the bookshelves. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah, it's super nice. It's small, but it's mine. That's adorable. I need a library. I was telling Ash the other day, because he's moved his office um, chair and table into the living room so that he can have more natural sunlight, and I was trying to throw a coup and take over his office, but sadly, he has a lot of stuff for work in there that he can't move very easily, Mm. so my coup failed. Keep trying. Persist. I was like, wouldn't it be nice if this room was like a library and a crochet studio? And he's like, no. But, okay, but he can't have all the things. <laughs> he has a, he's working, not working in his office, which is designated space for work. I did get to have almost full control of decorating both the living room and the bedroom. And then he got his office in the kitchen. Okay. I still disagree, but it's not my house. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta find the compromise. (laughs) 
so yeah, like how have you been doing in these crazy times? I'm good. Work was picking up again. I got another new case to work on, so I'm excited about that. How's Brighton dog. Beach? Yeah. I have not opened my front door in four days. So things I guess are fine. We had a thunderstorm the other day. Did you did you have that up there? Oh yeah, it was pretty pretty bad. And then um my um Aston's coworker was like, Oh my god, it could be snowing and we're like, It's not it's, it's not, not snowing. snowing. Oh, and they're worried that like that it would like knock down power lines or something and I'm like, You clearly only go through one hur- hurricane in a decade. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> I was like, it's going to take more than that and <laughs> knock out power. Jesus Christ. It was, and it lasted like, it was pretty fierce, but it was only like an hour. Yeah. It made me miss the storms on the Gulf Coast because, um, I mean, hurricane season aside, we still get like just like torrential downpours on like a pretty regular basis where it's like the sky goes black, the whole city floods for like a couple of hours, like, wrath of god thunder just like constantly rolling like you feel like you're in a movie and um it's just a storm (laughs) yeah and you just don't get that type of weather in new york so anytime there's even just a hint of a thunderstorm i'm like it's so nice i know i miss we get those in minnesota too Mm -hmm. you know who i bet gets really good thunderstorms is chicago coming off that lake yeah the midwest actually gets really gnarly weather it does. It's like we're right on the top of the tin pan, uh, the tornado alley too, right? So all the, mm. like that, all those tornadoes. But lots of tornadoes happen in Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa. Just There's say. a so my grandparents owned a lake house in northern Iowa, and one time we had this like really bad tornado, but it was on the other side of the lake, and this lake is um, like a couple miles wide. It's like very big, and uh, so we were sitting out on our front deck during a tornado warning and we were watching the tornado go across the lake and it caused a water spout Mm -hmm. and it was so cool because the cloud like the tornado is like connected to this large cloud like in the sky and there's this water that is just being spun up isn't that crazy and it was so cool yeah it was Mm -hmm. just like a really wonderful experience i mean we were far enough away that we were fine but i was just like whoa like oh, old joanna gonna write about West. that in my summer essay <laughs> <laughs> i miss like weather like that i do i kind of miss weather yeah. like that the sirens are going off and you gotta run to the basement <laughs> and then you turn on movies and eat popcorn because you're down there for five hours and got nothing else to do yeah the, yep. the sirens are a little apocalyptic uh yeah yeah, I mean, they'll scare the crap out. They used to scare the crap out of me as a kid. Like, we're all going to die scared. Like, I know. The house is going to get lifted off or we're going to spin off into oblivion. But, yeah. We had a tornado. Um, I was staying at my friend's house in Mankato. That's oh, hey. And a tornado went down their street and it sounded like a train. Yeah. 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 I wasn't that- ex- And I was babysitting. Oh, because God. the parents were like somewhere else and so they were hunkered down and they called us on like the landline and they're like hey joanna just get everyone down to the basement don't worry like make sure you get the cat i'm like okay and so we're down in the basement and i am like distraught and so like the youngest is trying to cheer me up because i'm not used to tornadoes and so we watch scooby-doo yep <laughs> but you can hear it 
go down the street. Freaking crazy. And I'm just like, oh, God. We had one hit my neighborhood. Um, and it hit like this, it was like three blocks away. And it was just, it went like around this lake area, like perif- the perimeter of this lake, Lake Harriet. And it tore up all these like multi-million dollar homes. Oh. It was, it was well, so crazy, but it didn't hit anywhere else. I guess at least they can pay to fix the damage. It was so crazy. Yeah. It was like 1981. Um, anyway, um, it sounds like everybody at Radio Free Brooklyn is, is, is just, like weathering the pandemic pretty well. Yeah, I think so. I did not attend the happy hour last night. I didn't either. What was I doing? Oh, oh I was passed on the couch being like, what? It's an hour work day. Uh, cool. but do we have any announcements? Uh, we do, and I completely forgot to pull them up, so give me one second. One second. Do you want I'm... me to do my interpretation of the on-air read? Here we go. Sure. <laughs> Drive four five. Donate now. At 1-800-DONATE. <laughs> <laughs> but really, you can find the information on our website, radiofreebrooklyn.org slash donate, isn't it? Yes. Okay, so uh, here is our on announcements. Friends. COVID-19. Family, countrymen. Lend me your ear. COVID-19 is disrupting everyone's lives. If you have not been living under a rock or have... I don't know. Well, if you have, it probably has not disrupted your life. Well, I don't know. You still have to go out for groceries. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. And Radio Free Brooklyn is no exception. We want you to know that we have made every effort to ensure the health and well-being of our hosts, staff, and community at large. We've closed both of our studios and canceled live events. But our hosts are still doing their best to continue bringing new original programming by broadcasting live and, hey, pre-recording from their home studios or libraries <laughs> or kitchens. Um, with most of revenue streams evaporated, we need your help. We realize you may be hurting too, but if you can afford any small donation at all, it would give us, it would go a long way to helping us stay on air. Um this our May is our five year anniversary, which is why we're the drive to five has since changed. Um, but you can donate in a number of ways. First, you can give the one time or monthly donation at radiofreebrooklyn.org slash donate. Uh, as Joanna had said, you can buy some sweet merch with all our logos on it. There's a five year anniversary t shirt up there. The hoodie is kind of badass, and I'm gonna get one of those. Um, mugs, other swag. Um, you can also text your monies to us to RFB Gives, which is RFB G I V E five to four four three two one, and that only takes a hot sec while you're standing in line at Walgreens waiting for toilet paper. You can do that. And finally, if you shop on Amazon, this is my favorite one because I shop on Amazon all the time. Uh, you can go to Amazon.com Smile and register Radio Free Brooklyn as your nonprofit of choice to support us. A percentage of your sales will go directly to RFB and it will cost you absolutely nothing. No donation is too big or too small. Whatever you can afford will make a huge difference. We truly, truly appreciate it from the bottom of our hearts. And I wish all of you guys health and happiness as we weather this storm together. 
Inspiring okay. words from Tom Tenney. <laughs> Here's the Tom. He's a wordsmith, that guy. Oh. So speaking of the Wired. Midwest, what are we covering <laughs> yeah, today, my sweet dear? Ed Gein. Gein. Gein? Ugh, whatever. I don't think I've ever pronounced a last name correctly on the entirety of our show. Sure you have. Sure. Oh, who is the... Um, I've had some pretty embarrassing misconnections. I did get Kanan um, incorrect, but that's only because I watched um, a documentary about him. By the way, your brother is a delightful human. I know he is, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Let mm-hmm. me know next time he's in Minnesota, <laughs> next time he's in New York. I'll go I, I, to- I totally will. We'll go out for drinks, or we'll have him up in the studio, and I'll bring champers or something, and we'll we'll shoot the shit. He's a, he's a delightful like, motherfucker. I like him. I love him. Adorable. But I, I, he's very happy. Yeah, I love him. He's my brother, but I just like him as a person. He's he, the world is a better place with him in it. Mm-hmm. That's really sweet. Yeah. Um, the world is definitely a better place without Ed Gein. Yeah. I'd say. I mean. What I'd... the fuck? <laughs> so, do you want me to dive in quickly to his early life? Yeah, or... go for it. Okay. Ed Theodore Gein was born in La Crosse, Wisconsin, to his parents, George and Augusta, also Wisconsin natives. And he had an older brother, Henry. Uh-huh. Uh, if you look, okay, so Augusta was a major uh, Bible banger of a woman. She was mm-hmm. determined to raise her sons according to this draconian, draconian moral code where all women were whores <laughs> or loose and all cities full of sin, right? Yeah. Basically, everybody is a horrible fucking sinner, but the women are the worst parts. So, except um, for her. Except, well, I think she, I think she hated herself and her life generally. I mean, so, I would have hated she, her life too, even without the whole religious blah blah. Fanaticism, yeah. And so, and she repeatedly warned Henry and Ed of uh, said loose women um, to discourage, and I dare say she was probably very successful at this. Uh, any sexual desires the boys may have had, you know. So their house is full of, like, hellfire and brimstone. Yeah. Um, I don't think they suppressed it. I think they, she just fucking twisted it too, <laughs> so badly. George, the father, was uh, described by Augusta as uh, weak and a worthless. He was an alcoholic who had, uh, she said, no business raising her children. Of course, she didn't really want to raise them either. So um, she despised him and uh, uh, he also called him a creature unfit to hold down a job. So that made her the sole breadwinner of the house. So she began a grocery store in La Crosse the year Ed was born. Um, and she saved all her pennies and uh, for 10 years, whatever. And in 1914, she packed everyone up and moved them to Bucolic Plainfield, Wisconsin. She yeah, they had a farm. 195-acre farm. Very isolated. Closest neighbors were like a mile and a half away. So now she's 
no, so, so she's further isolating her boys from the sinners of the city, right? Um, mm-hmm. So Ed would take solace in reading adventure books and comic books, which I can't fucking imagine why he'd want to resort to escapism. But, you know. Okay. So they're out there from 1914. George up and dies in April of 1940. That's the that's the dad. It's the dad. And this uh, is not like wholly unexpected. It sounds like he was not maybe the most healthy person to begin with. with no, he, alcoholism yeah. and heart failure caused by alcoholism at the age of 66. So mm-hmm. I mean think about that. They were married for a really long ass time and they lived in Plainfield from 1914 to 1940. Mm-hmm. That's a long-ass time to be miserable. Yeah. I will say that um, Ed Gein's, like, um, early life really puts into perspective that some people actually are miserable their entire lives. Yeah. Like, okay. this whole family, there's, like, it's... no happiness. I know. So, uh the boys, Henry and Ed, take a series of odd jobs to help out their mother, uh, also while maintaining some semblance of farming, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Ed, uh, one of Ed's odd jobs was he was a frequent babysitter for the neighbors, which, dear God, um, in hindsight, could you imagine being one of those neighbors? Even even after all his shit was exposed, though, they were like, well, he was just, he was weird, but he was a harmless, oh, nice guy. And you're like, uh. one of my One of my favorite, um, like, quote, early signs is that, um, so Ed and his brother were not overly socialized for going to school, especially since his mom is, like, super paranoid about the outside world. But yeah. he would let them go to school, like, barely. And um, so um, Ed was uh, described as uh, shy, and his classmates and teachers remembered him as having strange mannerisms, uh, such as seemingly random laughter. And so basically what he would do is he would just be, like, hanging out by himself and just start, like, burst into, have this, like, burst of hysteria. Hey, you know, like not Joker, being able to stop laughing. On? That sounds like and Joker. And then, um, like, people are like, is he laughing at his own joke? Like, what? Mm-hmm. Um, and then also his mom would, like, punish him if he tried to, like, make friends or bring any friends home. So he's, like, incredibly isolated as a boy. But I just, uh, I feel like potentially if there are some mental health issues, which I'm pretty sure there were, um, there is, like, some indication that, um the world that he created in his mind was maybe more important to him than the outside world. Oh, a hundred percent. I'm sorry. Cats are crawling all over me today. No, I love it. They're so cute. Hello. I guess you're wearing headphones. So they're just like, Oh, random computer person staring. I know. I also thought the world of his mom, like she thought he, that, the sun rises and set out, sets out of her ass. Like he thought she was the end all be all. It's like this very strange attachment that Henry thought was very, also very uncomfortable in 
um, and he Henry would openly criticize their mother, which uh, sort of drew a division between the brothers as they got older. Mm-hmm. And uh, it mortified Ed that Henry would be so openly um, brutish about how awful his mother was. Yeah. So, yeah. Although I will say that the mom was undoubtedly very abusive. Oh, to, to the children yeah. and to everybody else that she came in contact with. And then um, I have one cultural reference question. Do you watch Arrested Development? I haven't in some time. All right. So um, this is very shameful that I'm forgetting the names of the characters. Um, Buster Bluth has this like weird obsession with their mom, Lucille. Mm-hmm. And um, to the point where it's like Buster helps his mom with like her baths and it's like kind of like this like running gag in the series. And then at one point, um, Michael, who's uh, who's uh, Buster's brother, um, is making fun of Buster for loving their mom so much when their mom is very clearly a terrible person. And they get into a fist fight over the comment. And so when I was reading um, about Ed and his brother and the way that they viewed their mother so differently and how much friction it would cause in their relationship, I'm just like, oh, my goodness, like, rest of development. Very and then this, Yeah, and then there's, like, this other joke where they have, um, like, Mother Boy, which is, like, this, uh, like, beauty pageant, sort of, that moms participate in with their sons. And Lucille and Buster have won it every year for like the past like fifteen years. Wait, she's like wait, dragging... wait. It's called Mother Boy. Yeah. Oh God. Is the name of the competition? That's creepy. And so uh, there's like an episode that's about Mother Boy, and of course Buster's in his thirties, and Lucille is like old, and everyone else there is like mom in her forties with her like middle school child. Right. And, um, like, that, the, the whole thing just reminded me so much. Uh, <laughs> Ed Gein and Augusta, like, who knows? Like, I'm sure it wasn't sexually incestuous, but no. it definitely is, like, beyond the bounds of what normal mother-child relationships are. Well, yeah, it's just... It's- what is called coercive control, right? I'm going to beat you and abuse you. And there's, there's just, there's something that she did that Ed thought was made her like this sort of godlike creature, even though she was so awful to him and his brother. It's like Madonna or something. Yeah. Yeah. And that continues after uh, when she falls ill, but let's talk about Henry and what happens to Henry. Because mm-hmm. of this wedge that has been driven between Ed and Henry. Um, so on May 16th, 1940, which is like a month and a half after his father dies, right? Mm-hmm. Which I, I didn't realize that until I was reading last night. And I was like, oh, God, it's only like six weeks. Um, Ed and Henry are out fighting a brush fire uh, that was sort of burning dangerously close to the uh, their farm, right? So they're out, like, saving the corn stalks. And so they, uh, Henry runs off into a different direction to sort of fight the blaze from the other side. And um, they, 
night is falling and Ed loses sight of his brother. And after the, the fire is out, Ed supposedly became worried because he couldn't find Henry. And so he contacted the police. So the police organized a search party. And I'm sorry, cat hair everywhere, all over my face. Um, the police organized a search party and were surprised upon reaching the farm that Ed led them directly to the missing Henry, who was lying ah. dead on the ground, on a piece of earth, untouched by fire. He was not burnt, and he had bruises all over his head and face. So. Police are like, maybe this is suspicious. Hmm. Okay, even if they thought it, though, they didn't do anything about it. They didn't think that foul play was at play here. So uh, even when the coroner was like, we're going to list asphyxiation as the cause of death, the police didn't charge anybody with anything. And maybe because it wasn't provable. But back Mm -hmm. then, like, they hung up people for less than this back then. So, Mm -hmm. So this leaves Ed and Augusta alone in the world and he is left to like he's kind of happy about it right he's just living the dream with his cranky ass mom and like a couple weeks after this Augusta suffers a series of paralyzing strokes and now Ed Gein is her sole caretaker so uh mama Mama, bo- mama boy, is that what? mother boy? Mother boy. boy. <laughs> yeah. So he's yeah. So now I can imagine now what he's doing. He's she's you know half paralyzed by these strokes, and you know what kind of care that involves. So imagine mm-hmm. some of the more taboo things that get put aside when you have to take care of somebody who's you know like can't take like literally cannot take care of themselves the feeding and the yeah. bathing and the other bodily There's functions like a lot more dependence of her on him now which i suspect he probably um appreciated yeah so she had another series of strokes uh a little later on and she eventually died on december 29th 1945 at the age of 67 so now ed is literally Left to his own deviant devices. Yeah, like yeah. All right, so um, let me see. So the author uh, Harold Schechter uh, wrote a book on Ed Gein. It's a very good said, book. Oh, have you read it? I have the audio book. Oh, that's why you have all these details. I was like, because I could like, Google around a bit. I was like reading up on it. And I wasn't finding. To as much as I was expecting to. Okay, so I, um, I have I have the book, and I got most of my other source was Murderpedia. Oh, yeah, one of my favorites. Um, yeah, so I was like trying to find like news articles or some sort of essay, and it's like his stuff is so gruesome, and then also so old that like um there wasn't quite it's, there's not like the same retrospective given to him that a lot of serial killers are given um mm-hmm. that's true but uh so author harold Schechter um wrote in his book that on the day that his mother died ed had lost his only friend and one true love mm. ick <laughs> ick no and then like 
I don't really think that he that Ed was like all there to begin with necessarily. This is after like years and years of isolation and abuse and God knows what else. Um, but after her death, Ed boarded up all of the rooms that his mother had like really used and lived him mm-hmm. lived in, and like they're like perfectly preserved. And then the rest of the house just kind of like fell into decay, and he's like barely taking care of himself and. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I'm sure that when the, po- well, there's many reasons why the police would have been shocked when they entered his house. Uh, but even like that alone, I think would have been incredibly disconcerting. Yeah. He was a bit hoardish, right? He, and cause he only lived in the kitchen and like one room off the kitchen. That's, that's basically mm-hmm. what he lived out of, out of this two story house. Right. So. Yeah. And he was incredibly poor. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, he did get, a. He sold 80, 80 acres of land that his brother had owned at one point, and he got a federal farm subsidy and still was performing odd jobs. So he was pro- he was he was probably pretty poor, but in, like I th- I don't think he was as poor as he lived. appeared appeared or lived. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Some of the things in the house, let's talk about Ed's reading habits now that he's alone. Okay. Um, still into his adventure books and magazines. So he has periodicals about Nazis and South Sea headhunters and shipwrecks. And uh, he likes uh, the this he likes books about exhumation of corpses and grave robbing. This is very big in the Victorian era, so there's a lot of shit about that out there and he became with you know this is when this is really when he became obsessed with all these weird stories and apparently he would recount some of these re- stories to the kids he still babysat and oh uh, no no and, yeah and he liked to read the obituaries okay mm-hmm. that's where he would find out you know local deaths <laughs> That's his hobby. Yeah, he likes to read the obituaries. He was trying to find his... Well, anyway. (laughs) What else was he reading? (laughs) Uh, Well, this is... Okay, so this is also the time when he started taking visits to the cemetery at night. Uh, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Finding his mom. Among other things. Yeah. Um... Let's see. So, uh, also at this time, he was, you know, so he was, well, how do I want to do this? Do we want to start out with the, the, because I feel like we should leave leave this for the further. Yeah. I mean, this will all come out in the the interviews with him later. So, let's just skip ahead. All right. Do you want to go to the murder? Yes, yeah, so let's talk about the first woman that went missing uh, was in 1954, right? Mm-hmm. So that was nine years after his mother died. I like nine a time. Years? I like a timeline. Yeah. So, so I didn't realize it was so much later. Yeah, so he he's Acquired a lot of new hobbies in the nine years. Uh, <laughs> I mean, okay. So, 
1954, Plainfield Tavern owner Mary Hogan, uh, she disappears mysteriously from her place of business. Police astutely make the observation that there was foul play because there was a trail of blood from the tavern floor through the parking lot. And a spent shell casing. That sounds like foul play. Smells like foul play to me. Um, Okay, so three years later, uh, in November of 1957, Plainfield hardware store owner Bernice Warden mysteriously disappears. Um, here, let me do this part. Yeah, you do this part. This is like one of the only things I actually have information on. Okay. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. All right. Um, so on the morning of November 16th, 1957, um, hardware store owner Bernice Warden vanishes. Um, I think it's worth noting that this is two days before my birthday. And, of course, many years earlier, I am not like some sort of eternal youth vampire. Yeah. Anyway. I don't know. You might be. <laughs> I was there. Um, so, um, Warden's son happened to be the deputy sheriff, uh, Frank, and, um, so he's not, like, hearing from his mother all day. He walks into the store, finds the cash register open, and bloodstains on the floor. So, of course, um, people are thinking that, I don't know, maybe there's, like, a theft or, like, someone, like, surprised her while she was at the store. You know, say this is suspicious. Um, so he's going through like receipts, right? And he sees, um, that Ed Gein had been in the store the evening before his, before, um, the disappearance, um, buying a gallon of antifreeze. And so of course, Gein is promptly arrested. And that's kind of when everything starts to come to a head for maybe not so poor Ed Gein. I mean, it sounds like the investigation was really fast. It was really fast. Off the cavalry go. <sighs> to arrest Ed Gein and search his house. And that is where they discover her decapitated body in a shed on his property, hung upside down by her legs on a crossbar and ropes at her wrists. And they say that the torso was, quote, dressed out like a deer. Yeah. And it had been very heavily mutilated after the death. Yeah. Yeah, so her head, was in a, her head was somewhere, and then it was in a box. So the police are searching Ed Gein's house, where they find a uh, number of interesting items, and I'm just going to name a few of my favorites, then you can kind of round off the list. Okay. Um, they found a wastebasket made out of human skin. Mm-hmm. Um, let me see. Bowls made from human skulls. A uh, corset from a female torso that had been skinned, and it's from shoulder to waist. Mm-hmm. Um, let me see. A belt made from female human nipples. Yep. Uh, Megan, what else struck you on this list? Oh, God. Everything. This is not, like, not your regular trip to Bed Bath Beyond. Okay, so skulls on his bedposts. Um, leggings made from human skin. Masks. He made a he made masks from his female faces, female faces. Um, Mary Hogan's face mask in a paper bag, and her skull was in a separate box. Yeah. Um, 
Other things of note are a pair of lips um, for a window shade, like drawstring, like at the yep. end. Um, and then a lampshade that was made out of a human face. Four random noses. Just four noses. Um, Bernice Warden's head was in a bag, burlap bag, and her heart was in a plastic bag in front of the pot-bellied stove. There were other no. se sexual organs in boxes and other places, which I don't think we need to address anymore. I think people are getting the idea. He has some strange tastes. Uh, yeah, so the investigators are, like, looking at this. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, they are questioning Ed Gein um, because this is a lot more than two bodies worth of stuff. And it's during one of the um, interviews with police that Gein says that between 1947 and 52, he um, had a hobby of going to the local cemetery after reading these obits and would, um, quote, enter a days-like state where he would um, dig up the bodies and obviously take a few home. Mm -hmm. um, now, it is um, speculated that he was targeting women who looked like his mother. It is speculated like that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so apparently Ed Gein was trying to create something that was kind of like a woman suit uh, so that he could become his mother to literally crawl into her skin. Yes, ma'am. That is what he said he did. <laughs> yes, that and is what he said. If you're wondering, because I do think that this is an outstanding question, not outstanding, is in like, whoa, outstanding, but you know, it's a question that you have while hearing his story. He denied having sex with the bodies because he said that they smelled too bad. Um, I don't think he would be having sex with any woman anyway. You think he would have just been too terrified of the whole idea of it? Yeah. I think he, I think his mother did a good, like a good solid number on him about sex. So I don't think he was doing it for sex uh, at all. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, he did admit, yeah. So he admitted to stealing from nine graves in the 30 to 40 nocturnal visits that he took to his new favorite playground. And uh, he did lead investigators to those, those locations. And uh, I don't know why they did this, but they hemmed and hawed over whether to open the graves or not. Because, you know, he would go there when they were fresh. So mm -hmm. these graves are now old and covered over with sod and everything else. So they couldn't decide if it was moral or not to exhume corpse in order to see what was actually inside i'm like what <laughs> i mean like this level of um like obscenity was like i think probably pretty unheard of i mean even now if you hear someone saying this you're like man that's fucked up i kind of wonder if maybe the police are just like we already have enough on him like just just yeah I get, I mean, the only thing I would think of is that they were worried about uh, talking to the families and been like, okay, he's identified your sister's grave. How do you want us to address it? 
That's yeah. the, only, the only thing I could think of. But uh, I mean, I don't know. I always just thought it was just like, like the cops didn't want to deal with it. I'm pretty sure that's true. Yeah. Um, I mean, could you imagine that, like, the kind of PTSD you'd have after going to arrest him for a murder and seeing all that shit in his house? Yeah. And then some of the older police on this force could have potentially served in World War II. Yeah. I mean, like, like I couldn't help myself. A lot of this I was comparing to, like, some of the medical experience, experiments you heard, like, Nazis performing. Just in terms of, um, like, uh, like mutilating the bodies. Mm-hmm. While they were alive. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, in the Holocaust, for, for sure. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I'm sure that, like, there's, like, potentially weird stuff going on after people died, too. Um, yeah. And so, like, because it's, like, in my mind, that is, like, the only thing that I have to compare something like this to is the Holocaust. Yeah. And, I mean, of course, Ed Dean's only doing this after death and to a very small number of people, but it is um, so taboo right. in our culture. No, no. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't... Well, it, yeah. It's just it's like such a dark story. I love it. <laughs> I'm not a fan <laughs> of this one. You picked it! I was like, yes! I'm in! I mean... Like, I think that some of it is interesting, but the more I read about it, the more I just think, like, man, humanity's fucked up. Humanity's been fucked up since the dawn of time. I know, but I usually don't, like, watch I this just little, can't help watch, thinking yeah, no. about the, the victims' families. and Watch the Smithsonian Channel and watch some women gladiators. You want to tell me how fucked up, like, it's the whole, we're all fucked up we've always been fucked up like that's just know, the way it is. something about this story just got to me well i mean he is literally insane he he's insane so what well they, okay, briefly they, they ended up doing three test graves and pulled out and um what they found uh corroborated eddie's story that he was just taking uh he was just taking them for you know parts or 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 skin or whatever and then he would actually like go back later and return like personal effects like jewelry and other things and put them back yeah because they doubt i mean he's not a very big guy they doubted that the veracity of his story because he's he how could he do that by himself but he would go read the obituary and that night when it's fresh he'd go out and rob the grave Mm-hmm. I'm also obsessed with Victorian stories, Victorian England stories. So this is this actually reminds me a lot of like the Victorian era horror stories, Penny Dreadfuls. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just um like the idea of like skinning somebody even if they're dead, I think is just so horrifying. You know? I don't know. Yeah. Oh yeah. I I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying that that's sort of like... It's it, just not my cup of murder tea. <laughs> okay. Okay. It's very Mary Shelley's Frankenstein for me. Yeah, it is. Which also gives me the heebie-jeebies. Oh, I love that shit. God damn it. I love that shit. They don't write them like that or anymore. Or like vampires and... Mm-mm. Nah. 
Vampires are pussies. Unless they're from New Zealand and they're funny, then that's okay. Um, okay, so now we're in the interview process, right? The cops are talking to him. He has zero remorse because he does. It's clearly doesn't actually understand why everybody's so upset. He went through hours and hours of interrogation, and he admitted to the two murders and his grave robbing escapades. And he was just very matter of fact about it. Um, uh, so he underwent a battery of psychological testing, which they rightly deemed him a, a little impaired. <laughs> um, uh-huh. They diagnosed him as a schizophrenic, which I don't think in modern parlances that that's actually the case. Do you? No. I mean, there could, I mean, he could have had schizophrenia and then also. Yeah. You know, but I would say that like schizophrenia does not cause this behavior. I No, they did. And then they deemed him a sexual psychopath. But again, I don't think that's it. I, I don't, I think he's a psychopath. I don't even know if that's true in modern parlance. Like, I don't even know where we'd put him in in today's ideas of what, I mean, fucked up is, is, right? Yeah, I mean, it just breaks my brain to think about mutilating a body like that without there being, like, a very deep cultural reason, you know, like, there's, there have been, like, religions around the world, like, in the past that um, have certain, like, elements of, like, human sacrifice or whatever. And, that, like, I understand that. Um, but, like, just to be, like, one guy in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. like, I, I, I don't even know. Right. Do you want to get to his trials? Yeah. Okay, so, well, there's, can you imagine the media frenzy? Oh, God. Um, so let me see. Where's the trial? Blah, blah, blah. Why don't you start? Because I have, my notes are all yeah. sort of convoluted. Go ahead. So on, so in November of 1957, uh, so this would have been, oh, this is November 21st. This is like a few weeks after he's arrested. Mm-hmm. Um, he's arraigned on one count of first degree murder. Um, where he pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. And so there is, like, some questions in my mind as to why they only um, charged him with one murder when um, there was evidence of at least one more. Uh, But I think, again, it's like, I think the police were just kind of like, let's just, like, get this over with. Yeah, I don't think they needed to have the cost and expense of charging him with two. Because back then, I think they... They may have still tried tri- tried you for the two murders separately back then. Yeah. Um, well, he uh, pleaded guilty. Uh, he pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. He was, um, as you were saying, diagnosed with schizophrenia and found mentally incompetent, uh, thus unfit for trial. And so, what this um, like realistically looks like is he was sent to Central State Hospital for the criminally insane. And honestly, he, like, lived the rest of his life out in um, a psychiatric hospital. Um, Now, in 1968, so this is, you know, like a few years later, um, doctors 
said that uh, Gein had uh, made enough progress in his treatment, whatever that was, um, that he could participate in his own defense and, you know, like coherently talk to a lawyer and sit through a trial. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then the true trial starts. It lasts one week. And I don't even think that they, I read somewhere that they didn't even have like a jury. It was like just him and the judge. Yeah, that was at the defense's request. They they yeah. decided that a jury, it would be too much of a looky-loo situation to have a jury trial. Uh, and at this point, you know, how are you going to get a fair and partial jury in Plainfield mm-hmm, or any sure. anywhere, anywhere in Wisconsin at that point? So, yeah, that was a, it was just the judge, which you have the option of doing if that's what you really want to do. But, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, um, so last week, um, Dean says that he killed Bernice and Warden on accident. Again, this is the um, hardware store owner. And it's like a little bit ridiculous. He says that he um, was at her shop and like somehow magically a gun goes off. And he says that he just like blinked and doesn't remember it. And so this trial puts a nail in the coffin of his mental incompetence. Um, it's just, he's just kind of rolled mentally insane he is um sent to he's like sent back to the psychiatric hospital and that that is like he dies there i mean i think that he got transferred to another one but i mean oh i read that he had a he was found guilty but then they had a second trial for his competency hearing oh is that what it was i don't know for that your information is more correct Uh, uh, anyway but you're right he was he was just sent back to the hospital for the rest of his life and was a model prisoner. Oh, that's good. I'm yeah. glad he got it out of the system, I guess. He, he was a perfect prisoner. Uh, he was happy at the hospital, happier apparently than he'd ever been in his whole life. Cause he has three squares and no one's abusing him and whatever. Um, he got it along with other patients and um, he liked having regular chats with the psychologists and he did handicraft work. Mm-hmm. I mean, he did at his house, just not with nipples and belts this time. He did rug making and stone polishing and other forms of occupational therapy. I mean, yeah. He And the superintendent is described saying, he says this, quote, if all our patients were like him, we'd have no trouble at all. I just, this story so, just breaks my brain. So this story, I didn't know anything about this, but okay. So he died July 26, 1984 after a long bout of cancer. Now in 1984, I was 13 years old and I lived in Minneapolis. So this shit hit the news pretty hard, like monster of Plainfield dead. And that's what captured my imagination of, and I've been obsessed with him ever since. And so the more details I know, the better. And it's also the quiet, weird ones, just so we know. See, I guess my first exposure was um, Science of the Lambs. Um, the main character in that is um, the main bad guy is based off of Ed Gein, and he's trying to make that suit, right? The, That's like the, the serial killer oh, they're trying buff, to catch. Yeah, Buffalo, Buffalo Bill. Bill. And um, so Science of the Lambs is definitely, for me, one of the reasons why I'm, like, scared, skewed out by Ed Gein. Um, but then also... Going back to the um, 
So I had a teacher who grew up in um, Vichy, France, whose parents were part of the resistance movement during World War II. Aren't you fancy? And she also collects antiques. And she said that for a while after the war, um, their family kept on finding antiques that were made out of human skin. Yeah. And so those two things like were like formative childhood like memories of what evil looks like and then reading about Ed Dean I'm just like no and I like I know I suggested this because I'm just like yeah burr, burr, burr. like I just like pulled off the list of serial killers like oh we haven't done this guy um and I didn't really know too much about him mm-hmm. like I knew that he did something or another with like human skin but like when I really started to read into it I was just this no, he's kind of yeah. might be the line for me. He's inspired everything from uh, Psycho to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He's inspired all kinds of Chris, twisted, crazy fictional stories because of all of this. Yep. Mm. <laughs> so good. Thank. I love it. I love it. I love a dark, twisted story like this. I don't know if I would love it had I been around at the time, but I'm so obsessed yeah. with, as I mentioned, those Victorian horror stories that uh, this, and this one just kind of drops it right in there for me. So there same is thing. something about the story that almost feels unreal. It's, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, there um. it is. Oh, one side note. He was buried, uh, in a cemetery that was, uh, and his grave was frequently vandalized, and his headstone was eventually stolen in 2000. Um, it was recovered a year later in Seattle and is now in a museum in Washara County, Wisconsin. I did read that they never replaced the headstone because people kept on. Yeah, they won't replace it. Although he's, he is buried between his parents, so you know exactly where it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that's Ed Gein, folks. <laughs> Hello, honey. Hello, the baby. Yeah. I was so happy. <laughs> oh, Just bring you joy. I'm uh, scarred, uh, like, kind in a corner. And you're, like, in your happy place talking about murder. Just um, don't. Just don't Google image search, Ed Gein. Don't do that. Whatever you do, don't do that. I saw the nipple belt. Anyway, um, so thank you for listening to Crime Talk BK. Uh, we hope that this has brought you at least some distraction from the, out, the Outer World shit show. Um, stay safe, stay inside, and we'll uh, talk to you next week. Bye. Wash your hands. Oh